Have you ever tried to kickstart a motorbike? How many of you have ever tried to kickstart a motorbike? Yeah, okay, lots of hands. Now, for something that's maybe a little more accessible, because not everybody's tried to kickstart a motorbike, what about trying to start a really ornery lawnmower? Okay. <laughs> the thing about kickstarting a motorbike that is sort of similar to an ornery lawnmower is that every time you kick or pull, you're wondering if this will be the one. Surely if I put a little bit more energy into it, right? Maybe I'll separate my shoulder, but I'm going to pull it as hard as I can. Or maybe if I really just jump on this peg, maybe, maybe this time it'll work. And the interesting thing is once you get to about three, four, five, six pulls or six kicks, that's when you start to get to this moment where you're like, is there any point in going on? Now, certain personalities will go on. Certain personalities will do it 10 times, 12 times, 15 times. That's very entertaining, actually. <laughs> other personalities, they'll stop at two or three and they'll go find the other person who surely can do it, right? But I think kickstarting kick a, a motorbike or, or trying to pull start a lawnmower is a little bit like learning to pray. I think it's a little bit like learning to pray. You, you wonder, you know, I, I know prayer is a very interesting thing because it's so simple and yet so hard. Simple in that a child can pray. Anyone who has any, even a thought towards God is, could be praying. So it's really that simple. Prayer is just sort of like you just think or whisper or shout help to God. That's prayer. So it's like everybody's Oh, I've got someone waving at me. Oh, we're supposed to take up the offering? You guys are all about money. No. <laughs> I'm so glad you remind me. It's great. My wife's waving at me, and I think she just loves me. She's encouraging me. So great to have her behind me. Now I know. All right. We'll take up the morning offering. Can we do that while I preach? Is that okay? Is that okay? Lord, thank you for all your good gifts to us. Uh, let us worship you appropriately in this area as well. And thank you. Amen. All right, you guys come forward, and I'll pick up where I left off if I can. <laughs> Kickstarting a lawnmower? No, kickstarting a bike? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I think it's a little bit like prayer. You try to establish it a good prayer life, right? You, you first pray. The first time you pray, maybe a little scary or nervous, you're not sure how to approach God. I think those are some of the most wonderful prayers if you ever get to witness them or hear them when you hear someone pray for the very first time. Uh, for me, one of the stories that came out of um, my early days, I, I served in another church up in northern Saskatchewan before I served here in Moose Jaw. And uh, I remember this uh, young adult, she was probably in her young 20s like I was, and uh, she had come to faith in Christ, but had never prayed out loud before. And she was babysitting these two kids who were, had grown up in a Christian home. And they said, well, Melanie, you pray today for the meal. She had asked them, do one of you want to pray? No, you pray. And then she started to sweat profusely. She was just like, I don't know if I can do this. Again, the only witnesses to this moment were two small children, but she just felt the pressure of it. Can I possibly do this? Well, it's very interesting, you know, 
uh, Melanie is now a children's pastor on the West Coast. She's out in Vancouver and has grown exponentially in her spiritual life. But that first moment, I remember when she told everyone at our, our young adults group this story. I remember everyone loved it. It was just like, wow, this is so awesome, like so great. Your first experience with, now she prayed privately, but to pray publicly was a big deal. So, but what about maintaining prayer as a long-term thing? A lot of us have, through the years, maybe heard someone speak on prayer or been challenged to pray by somebody else, and then we said, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it. I heard the preacher talk about those famous Christians pray for four hours a day, and I'm going to do the same. And you do it once, and then the second day you do it for a lot less, and then the third day you don't do it at all, and then the fourth day you're so discouraged because you feel like you're not very good at this, and then you quit. And then it goes for quite a while, and then someone else sort of challenges you, and you feel that same sort of, oh, I'm going to get it this time. It's like kickstarting a motorbike. Is this time going to be the charm? Is this one going to really work? Is that going to happen? And seems like for some people it does work. They hear a challenge, they respond, and, and then they have this wonderful story of how now prayer is just the sweetest thing in their life and they experience on a regular basis and, and uh, you know, the, the ceiling is just a, a, a window to heaven for them. You think, what's wrong with me? How come I struggle? How come it seems like I'm kick-starting a motorbike that just will never start? Well... If you got, took one of these blue magnets home that you can get at the back and feel free to take one or two or a couple, however many you need to stick to your fridge. Sometimes we run out of these and you just have things falling off your fridge. Take a whole bunch. <laughs> Plaster it up. If you took one of these home, you might read on it that a lot of the big events coming up at our church in the, in the season to come are about prayer. See, there's a week of prayer in January and there's a Hearing God seminar that goes for six weeks that starts in January. There's a set-free seminar. What's that about? Well, Okay. Then there's a prayer summit in April 12th. These are the, we, said, we said these are the biggest, most significant events that are going to happen in this next year as a church. And at least three out of the four are about prayer, and I'm not sure about that fourth one. Maybe it has something to do with prayer too. <laughs> so some people who've been on the motorbike and stepped off the motorbike, this might, I, I want to speak to you. I want to speak to you. I'm speaking to everyone here this morning. Uh, and I'm a little bit in uncharted territory. This morning I sort of threw out my notes that I was going to share this morning because I felt like I think God had something else to say. And so hopefully I can, with some sort of clarity, deliver that. I don't think it's meant to be that there's people in the church who like are like the prayer experts and then people in the church who are like people who don't pray at all. I, I believe there's some sort of more commonality that's supposed to be in the church. Um, I don't know if it's always healthy when we elevate certain people and say, these guys are the prayer ninjas or, or warriors or whatever. And I, I think that that sometimes sort of creates a sort of two, two parts to things. It's sort of like, well, if you really want prayer, if you really need God, go to the prayer warrior. And it's sort of, yeah, it creates these two tiers where you think, well, what, what about the average person that Jesus came to save? 
the average person that Jesus gave his body and blood for, aren't they supposed to have some sort of connection to God in prayer? And so for all of us strugglers, I include myself in that, and you'll find out more about that in a, in a minute or two. For all, that, those, for all of us strugglers, we, we wanted to do some things. That's what this is. We wanted to do some things that would help us all to be able to take some steps forward in prayer. Now, sometimes in behind the scenes, I call them baby steps because uh, that's pretty much what I need most times when I see a change in my life. I often am that guy who gets gung-ho and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be go from nothing to everything and I find it doesn't usually last with me in almost any area of discipline in my life. But I have found that when I, um, when I come at it a little bit differently, I have seen some success in my life when I come at it with a bit of a different uh, approach. And we'll talk about that in a second. But here, let me first tell you, why is prayer our major emphasis for this year? Our single most important emphasis for this year. Why is prayer? Let me give you some reasons. One, because you and I were made for an intimate relationship with God. Jesus said that he's, he's like a vine and we're like branches. And that his life is supposed to flow through him, the vine, into us, the branches, so that we can produce fruit. Now, it's all a metaphor for being able to do the work that God has meant for us to do, but not in our own strength, not like a branch solitarily dismembered from the vine, somehow magically producing fruit, but know that it's receiving the life from the vine, from God, and that that's how we produce fruit. We're meant to be in an intimate relationship with God. Now, his life's meant to flow through us, but it, some of us, all of us, lots of us at least, struggle with staying connected to him. We struggle in this area of the life of prayer, this whole area. But you're meant for it. You're created for it. You're supposed to be in an intimate relationship with God. And I believe that God really wants to help us uh, to experience that. Why else is prayer the number one emphasis for the next, next year? Well, because God answers prayer. You know, I love this. This is uh, author Anne Lewis. She says it this way. There are four ways God answers prayer. No, not yet. Or no, I love you too much. <laughs> I like that one. Because obviously God sometimes has a better plan than we do. Or yes, I thought you'd never ask. Or yes, and here's more. You get that? No, not yet. No, I love you too much. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. Or yes, and here's more. And in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about answered and unanswered prayer and some of the things that the Scriptures has to say about those things. But because God answers prayer, we're making it the most important emphasis for the year to come. Here's another one. Because the church is one place where you logically would expect to experience the power and presence of God. That's why we're focusing on prayer, one of the reasons. It logically is one of the places, you say, where can I experience God's presence? Where can I experience God's power? Hmm, at a church. Well, at a praying church, you should experience those things. And this church does have many people who pray, but again, I don't think it's just meant for some to pray and others not to experience that life of Jesus flowing through them through prayer. I think it's meant for all of us to experience together. 
Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. And then he goes on to say, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was talking about the temple. He'd gone into the temple. If you know the story, Jesus had to, to sort of upset the apple cart there with the people who were buying and selling things. You know, they turned the temple into Walmart, basically. And so Jesus did some house cleaning. And then he said, my house or this place, this was supposed to be a house of prayer. That's what it was meant for. That's what it was created for. It's supposed to be a place of connection between people and God. And, uh, and people had stopped doing that. And, you know, sometimes churches, and I'm not talking about the building, but I'm talking about the people. Sometimes churches aren't houses of prayer as much as they could be because there's a lot of stuff in it. There's a lot of other business that, that people get doing and we get doing it. Not bad stuff. There's programs and, and activities and they're good things. But they're not, they're not bad stuff, but they're not the best stuff. So we want to be a church that is a church of prayer that experiences the power and presence of God. Why else? Why else are we so focused on prayer? Because there's so many things in life that you cannot change, but God can. Pretty simple. You hear about somebody and they're in trouble? Can, can you protect them from all harm? I can't. Can you provide all their physical needs? I can't. Can you soften a hard heart? I bet you've tried, but it didn't work, did it? <laughs> all our efforts, all our, our, our plans and schemes and manipulative devices fall short. On some, there's some areas we just cannot affect. We cannot do what needs to be done, but God can do those things. So prayer is absolutely essential. And not just as a last resort, not just as a, oh man, I guess we found one of those things that we can't do, so I guess this is where prayer comes in and we'll pull that rusty old tool out of our toolkit and use it. No, prayer is meant to be the means by which we do all things. And because God can change those things, we pray. Why else? I believe that it's reclaiming our history as a church. This church is 90 years old. I remember telling someone this story, saying uh, I was, yeah, you've probably heard it, some of you, but I was chatting with someone and they said, um, they were saying, Their ch- our church is all full of, it's just old people. There's no young people in our church. And I said, well, our church has a lot of old people too, but we have every other generation too. And they said, well, that's, it's because my, they were saying about their church, it was because our church is old. It's an old church. It's been around a lot of years. And I said, well, our church has been around for 90 years. And they were like, what? That that didn't compute to them. I said, well, somehow along the way, as the baton passed from generation to generation to generation, they never changed the message about Jesus, but they found new methods to communicate that message. And somehow, God and his graciousness has allowed this church to have people from every generation. And they were sort of, you know, intrigued by this whole idea of, of the church. But one of the things that is part of our DNA, part of our history, that we can look back on and say, this is who Hillcrest was at its very inception. Now, now you, some of you, how many of you guys came for that movie night? Movie, we had that one movie night. Amazing stories. We'll probably do another night. It was so faith-inspiring to hear some of the stories that we heard that night. We'll probably do another night. Wait for it. It might happen in the new year. But um, some of the stories from that early days is here's 
uh, Pastor Allen was telling it in the video. Here's, here's a guy named O.J. Lovick. He comes to Moose Jaw. He holds these meetings in a movie theater. People come. They pack the place out. The fire inspector chides them every single time. Somehow they get around uh, him stopping them. <laughs> they continue, and people come to faith in Christ. People are healed. And, uh, but an interesting part of the history is that this is happening night after night after night, but what happens during the daytime is... O.J. Lovick, the, the pastor, he takes the people from, that have become believers and followers of Jesus, and he teaches them to pray. And so basically what they do is they just pray all day, and there's some counseling involved and, and helping people in their first steps with following Jesus. And then at night, again, there's, everybody fills up the theater, and the fire inspector shows up and tries to shut them down, and they have this whole drama experience again, and God just moves in incredible ways. And then, the next day, teaches them to pray. Teaches them to pray. Teaches them to pray. So as you say, well, it seems like such a really strong re-emphasis. You know, I'm looking at this little blue magnet, and it's got three out of four things on here about prayer, and I suspect Steve probably has the fourth one about prayer, and he's just not telling us. And seems like a lot of emphasis on prayer. Well, this isn't strange to our history. This isn't strange to who we are. It's not, this isn't foreign to our DNA. This church was birthed in prevailing, persistent prayer by regular people. Regular, average, everyday people taking first steps in prayer and persisting in it and doing it together. And if you go throughout our history, you'll, you'll know that there's lots of different points in our, in our church history where prayer was a, it had to be reemphasized. Let's, let's raise up this value again because it's so important. A 90-year-old church does not continue to exist if they abandon the basis of prayer. It's absolutely essential. One of the stories out of our history is a woman who lived out in the country on the old guard road, and she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for years for her community. And then finally made the big ask, asked the people from her community to come to the little schoolhouse and asked the pastor of the Apostolic Church in Moose Jaw to come out and speak. And uh, some of you are in this church today because you are descendants of those very people that were prayed for for all those years by that one lady. And you're sitting here today. Prayer is it's reclaiming our history as a church to make prayer our number one priority in this season. And finally, little of lasting or eternal value will be accomplished in a church without prayer. Let me give you some prayer encouragements, just a few statements. Corey Ten Boom, she said this, the more I pray, the more coincidences I experience. This is a sort of tongue-in-cheek statement from her, but, you know, a lot of times we're like, whoa, isn't that interesting that that happened? And uh, as I've begun to pray, uh, I'm noticing that more and more. Andrew Murray says, when I work, I work. When I pray, God works. Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's Jeremiah 33.3. Call to me and I will answer you. I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Would you like to know? Some things you do not know? Would you like to know the things that God knows? At least some of them? Call to him. 
Call to him. He'll answer you. James 4, 2-3 says, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we'll talk about motives and we'll talk about those things in, the, in, in ones to come. But you do not have, because there's, there's obviously ways to pray wrong, okay? That's what we, one thing we learn here. But you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because it's such a simple concept. There are people that have things or experiences or transformation in their lives or in the lives of their loved ones and family and friends. They have them simply because they asked for them. And then there are other people that do not have them simply because they did not ask for them. Can you see what prayer is such a huge fulcrum? It's like, it's like, it's like you, the lever on this end is like prayer. It just gives you this incredible leverage. And on the other end is God and answering prayer. And again, it's not just that you get everything, right? Lord, I really want that Lamborghini. I had that poster on my wall since I was 16. I really want that red Lamborghini. And God's like, no, I got something better for you. Chevy Aveo. <laughs> A little dented up, but sort of chokes when it tries to climb hills, but no. God's got better stuff for me, and it's not all in the car department. I'd rather that he didn't just answer my car prayers. I've got much bigger prayers that I think I'd rather have answered. You do not have because you do not ask God. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So here's here's what we ask. And somewhere up there in eternity is what we could have asked. But here's what we asked. And here's what we imagine. And somewhere way up there in eternity is what we could have imagined. We're talking about an infinite, all-powerful God. Sometimes we have self-limiters on our prayer. We're like, oh, I'll sort of pray this far, but I, I won't go past that because really, I, you know, that seems ludicrous or too huge or, or unbelievable. But this sort of seems like the safe realm of prayer that I'm comfortable with. And yet, we serve a God who can do immeasurably more. That means you can't measure how much more than we ask or imagine. So you can have people that ask and receive and people that don't ask and receive and you can have churches that ask and receive and churches that don't ask and don't receive. I know which side of the equation I'd like to be on. I bet you do too. So a lot of people struggle though with this maintaining a strong connection to God with prayer and, and again, big challenges often are discouraging, right? I'm willing to bet right now that some of you are feeling a teeny bit of that or maybe a lot of that. Oh, man, I can tell you, I have the same struggle in my life. Uh, I've heard lots of challenges and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm no good. Yeah, I'm, 
not a prayer hero, I'm a prayer zero, right? And so what we want, I, what I want to do is, it, <laughs> is it possible to teach on prayer without it being condemning? I don't know. Is it ta- possible to teach on prayer in a gospel-shaped, gracious way so that nobody goes home with their tail between their legs but actually goes home experiencing a sense of, maybe I can do this. Or I, I can take that small step. I can do that. I think I can do that. I'm going to try that small step, and then and maybe that will lead to other things as well. Last year, I, I was committing myself to go back to the gym. And uh, I've had on and off relationships with the gym, you know. Sometimes I'm faithful, sometimes I cheat on them. Uh, Anyhow, (laughs) but I come back every January and confess my sins and we make it right, patch it all up. Anyhow, I'd gone to the, and and this was very unique because my wife was going to join me at the gym. And uh, like, though I've been an unfaithful lover to the gym, uh, my wife has almost never had a relationship. So uh, we were sort of coming together to do this and we thought, how can we um, go to the gym together? How can we do this and see some success and some longevity? So I went online and I started Googling stuff and I found a whole bunch of apps that you could download to your smartphone to help you with working out. Well, they don't work out for you, which was what I was looking for, but anyhow, (laughs) I, I did find some apps and the one that I liked the best is an app called Couch to 5K. Has anyone heard of that? The Couch to 5K? It's a Couch to 5K. And the idea is that if you've been sitting on your couch for a really, really long time, and you follow this program, it's possible by the time you're done the program to be able to run five kilometers. I thought, that's perfect. I'm glad it doesn't say 3K to 5K because I couldn't do that. But it says couch to 5K. And I thought, perfect, I already qualify. I've got the couch part mastered. So I sat, I was like, this is great. So I started downloading, you know, some of them are a buck or two, these, these little apps. So I downloaded a whole bunch from my phone, and I, and I was testing them out. So I'd go run, or Marnie and I would go run, and we'd do these, and it would be mostly like, okay, walk for a long time, and now try to run 15 seconds. I can run 15 seconds? Yeah, it was awesome. Like, it was baby-stepping us along. And so I had a whole bunch of different ones, and the, the weirdest one I had was, um, it was really popular. I saw it online, but it was the zombie couch to 5K. And the zombie, I thought, well, I'm sort of a, you know, maybe they're talking about, you know, what kind of state I'm in. But actually, it was, it was built around a story. And so every time you'd have to go running, they'd do this, you know, you'd have your earbuds in and you'd listen to the soundtrack of zombies chasing you. And it would motivate you. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, this is strange what we've done with technology. <laughs> anyhow, so uh, anyhow. But I thought it was great. The concept behind Couch to 5K is just incredible. It's just saying, listen, we know you're not an athlete. We know that you're, 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 you're back here. And we're going to take you every little tiny step to get to your goal. And it's, been, it's actually quite a brilliant idea. It's very, it's very cool. And maybe some of you used a program like that to be able to, to get to 5K. Well, this... this um, Approach I like to take with prayer, I'd like to call couch to I pray. Thank you. Appreciate that. Forced laughter is still better than no laughter. 
I know who you are. <laughs> I'll see you at the gym. Okay. <laughs> so let me tell you about some of my own couch to I pray experiences. Uh, when I knew I would be taking over this lead position here at Hillcrest, again, um, I was going to the gym, and uh, I thought, you know what, I really need some verses to meditate while I run. And one of my first verses that I, I grabbed onto um, was Galatians, 4, Galatians 4.19. Now, in the older versions of Galatians 4.19, uh, it says, basically, I labor until Christ is formed in you. And so for me, it was a prayer, as I would run or if I was working out or whatever, that I was praying for Hillcrest. I labor until Christ is formed in the people of Hillcrest. That was the, the idea behind it. And so sometimes I'm running and I'm like, you know, feeling tired or I'm working out and I don't want to do one more rep or something like that. And I'd say to myself, I labor until Christ is formed in you. It sort of became this, yeah, it's a weird thing maybe to do that while you're working out. But for me, it, it, was, it was helping me to think through uh, what it meant to lead this significant church. So I was praying this, I labor, Lord, help me to be that, help me to work hard, help me to be diligent, all those different things. Now, I wasn't thinking about the more modern translations of it. If you read most of the other translations, you figure out that Paul is not talking about laboring like driving a nail with a hammer. He's talking about giving birth to a child. <laughs> so I didn't have that in my mind, that special labor. I've seen it happen twice, and uh, I didn't want any part of that. Um, so I was thinking more, you know, a little, you know, take it down a level, uh, labor for sure. But as I was... I was running and praying this prayer. I really got a sense that maybe I wasn't coming at it quite right. I thought, you know what? Within me is a natural bent to twist scripture towards my own glory. You might not have this trouble, but I do. So when I read, I labor that Christ may be formed in you, it's easy for me to draw a picture of heroic Steve leading the people into the promised land because of my work. Now, that's not what Paul meant when he wrote it, I don't think. He was talking about a very, he was perplexed by people who sort of lost their way, sort of lost their connection to the, the pure gospel message and then sort of adopted a different gospel, which wasn't really the gospel at all. And so, you know, it's a long story how he talked about, you know, he's back in this place laboring again that, that they would become like Jesus. Long story. So I adopted a second verse to rectify the first verse or to, to be almost like be an A-frame standing together. And that's out of 1 Samuel 12, 23. It says, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right. Now, this is Samuel after he's been sort of lost his job or has been forcibly retired by the Israelite people. They said that they want a king. They don't want to follow God and via Samuel, his high priest or his prophet. So he says to the people of Israel, Far be it from me that I would sin against you by failing to pray for you. So here he is into this very unique season of having been rejected as a leader 
And really, it is God that they've rejected as a leader. Let's be clear about that. And he says, my role, one of my key roles in this season is to pray for you. One of my key roles in this season is to intercede for you. I think that's a role for every leader, for every influencer. I think every, if you have any sort of people that are under your care, you can claim this verse. You should claim this verse. You know, when I was in Bible school, my, my freshman year of Bible school, so I was first year, I was so excited to be there because there was a lot of Christian girls. And, uh, <laughs> and there was foosball, and I really needed to work on my game because that was really important. It was going to help me for the rest of my life. Maybe not. But anyhow, I was, I was really excited to be at Bible school. It was a great environment, and, and it was wonderfully encouraging, all those things. But I really came to Bible school with pretty lax attitude, to be honest. And some of you, like Brian Heaney, who was one of my professors, will know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you who are my classmates, you know as well. Anyhow, in my first year, we had to choose our class president and vice president. We had an election. And so we voted, and we voted in two people. And the, um, so the two people who were going to lead our class were actually Karen McNaughton. Some of you know who she is. She is our, our office ninja. And, uh, and then the second person was Rob Chartrand, and some of you know who that was. So those, are, those, I was in my freshman class, and those were our glorious leaders. And um, the day came where I was, uh, what was I doing? I was sort of exploring through some of the dorms, you know, just meeting people. I was just being extroverted and friendly and stuff like that. And I happened to wander into Rob Chartrand's room and uh, his dorm room. And he wasn't there, and I just sort of looked around and whatever. And I was about to walk out because nobody was there. I was looking for someone to hang out with. And he had the little whiteboard in his, he stuck to the wall of his dorm room. And it had a list of all these names. And so I stopped and looked at it for a second and realized that it was all the names of our freshman class. And it was arranged by days, I believe. And I was staring at it for a while, and then it dawned on me that this was Rob Chartrand's planned prayer list. He would pray through the members of our class, it looked like, every week. I remember being sort of, wow, this guy's like really serious about his role as being one of the leaders of our class. And he's really serious about, and he's praying for me. And he's really taking on this responsibility to, to intercede for the people that he's been given a role to care for. And I thought that was amazing. I thought, I don't know anybody who at our age, 18, is that, like, spiritually mature. Maybe I was just thinking about myself. And it just really struck me. Now, I went on and played lots of foosball that year and stuff like that. But years, for years, I kept thinking back to the thought, at 18, Rob Chartrand understood that he had a role in interceding for the people he was given to care for. Now, Rob, is, he was a youth pastor here. Some of you were in his youth group. He went on to other churches, and he's planted a church in Edmonton. And I think God has used him in very significant ways. But as I was running in the gym, I hung on to this verse. and said, God, I know there are people in the church who are more experienced in prayer than me. I know there are people in the church who... Their prayer lives are, I would love to have a prayer life like they have, but I don't. And yet, Lord, you've, 
you've, through Samuel, you've given me an example of what I think a leader is supposed to do. And not just for a church, but for anyone I've been given responsibility for. Anyone you've been given responsibility for. Maybe you, lead a, you have a business. You have employees that are under you. I believe that you can be like Samuel and pray for each one of those employees. I think you should. I think it's a great high calling. What about your family? You've been given ones to care for. Your spouse, obviously, husband or wife, you're meant to care for them. Your children. I think you can claim this Samuel verse and, and hang on to this and say, yeah. I'm meant to stand in the gap between God and man and intercede for them, to pray for them. So I hung on to that verse and I just said, Lord, you've got to do this work in me because I'm a struggler with prayer. I have a hard time with discipline and I have a hard time with sometimes having inspiration or being inspired to pray. Sometimes prayer is, 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 is difficult for me. But Lord, I, I, need to, I need to become what you want me to be. I need to grow. I need to enter into your school of prayer and start taking the lessons or take the next lesson. So in the process, the elders had given me some time to go away. I went, uh, I went south, took my family and went into the States. And um, I visited three very significant American churches. The biggest church in Los Angeles, the biggest church in San Diego, and the biggest church in Las Vegas. Now, I would have went to every big church in the United States, but the Atkins family travel budget was only enough to get us to Regina, and Visa would get us the rest, but I couldn't really go everywhere. <laughs> so I had to sort of downsize a little bit my expectations, but I went to these three significant churches, and when I was going there, was this was sort of some of my thinking. Hillcrest is a significant church. I think God has great things in store for it. I actually think that it's the kind of church that's meant to be um, a leader and an encouragement to other smaller churches. That there are churches out there that um, we could come alongside and we could encourage them and we could stand with them and then we could, we could bless them. Not that they would become uh, another Hillcrest. No, we'd want them to become exactly what they are. But I think Hillcrest has so much going for it, such a good church, that I think God, I think God doesn't put all these good things in place for nothing. I don't think he wants to squander the things that have been foundationally placed in this church by people who've gone before us. So I said, God, as the person who's taking the baton of leadership of this church and stepping forward into the next chapter, I don't want to be the guy who falls down with a baton or drops it. Lord, I need you. I need you, but I also, I need the right kind of influences in my life. So that's why I went to these big mega churches. Again, these three big mega churches in the States. I went there and thought, maybe one of these churches would be sort of like um, a big encouraging older brother far ahead of us church that we could come and see what they do and not become like them because I don't think that's what we're ever supposed to do, but learn some stuff and glean from them. And all the three churches I went to, they were great. They were great churches, but I didn't have this sense of, aha, uh -huh, that's the one. So then I came back to Canada and I had, still had some time, so I went to a bunch of prairie churches 
Again, the budget was sort of more constrained after I'd blown it all at Disneyland. So um, I went to Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, and I went to significant churches, a lot of innovative, cutting edges, churches doing things I'd never seen churches do. I went and visited all these churches, and I said, God, maybe still there might be that church that's ahead of Hillcrest and that could be an encouragement to us. And, and, and we could learn some stuff from, so that Hillcrest could be all that is meant to be. Because why would you give us such good people, such good history, such good foundations, and surely you want to build on it. Help us. So, it was in a freezing cold, wintry weekend in January that I ended up in Steinbach, Manitoba, which was the last place on earth I wanted to be in January. And also the last place on earth that I figured there'd be this type of church. See, let me just pause for a second. I think churches can be a little bit like people. So like you read in the New Testament about how there was a guy named Paul. And for Paul to reach his full potential, like Paul was going to go on and plant churches and he was going and bless people and lead people. And uh, I think of particularly he was going to really be a huge encouragement of the life of a young guy named Timothy. But before Paul rose to his full potential to do all those things, there was another guy who came along whose name was Barnabas. And he encouraged him, and he poured into Paul, and he really helped him to be all he could be for God. And then Paul was able to do those things. And so I kept saying, for us, I hope it's not too much to ask this, Lord, but if Hillcrest is Paul, and we're supposed to help a whole bunch of Timothys, could you give us a Barnabas? And that's what I felt happened. I was, I was there in Steinbach, and I, was, I just really had this experience going to this church of sense of, I think this is it. This is a church of prayer. This is a church where everybody, there isn't this dichotomy, the prayer warriors and the people who don't pray, but it just felt like there was just an evening out where it just seemed like everybody had learned to take some steps in prayer. And they, it was like, it was like an army of prayer, actually. It was really cool. And I thought, this is probably the closest I've ever seen to what Hillcrest was under O.J. Lovick. This is probably the closest I've ever seen. When I read those stories about O.J. Lovick and it, just teaching them to pray, and every day they prayed, and they always met together, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. I thought, oh, I think this is as close as I've ever seen in a church and, and I was surprised because it was sort of a made-in-the-prairies thing. I didn't expect to find on, in, on the Canadian prairies a church quite like this. So I did two things. Well, I did a few things, but let me tell you about this. I, I came back, and of course I took over the lead role, and I met with our staff, and I said, uh, I think that God's in this. I think I, I didn't say it in those terms, but now I'm, so some of my thinking is sort of percolated a little more. I think this is maybe that Barnabas-type church to us. Could be. Could be a fit. I'm surprised by it, but I, I think God's in it. So I said, um, we need to go together so that you, the leaders, the couple elders, and then all of our church staff, and our church staff are great. We know how to push back against each other. Our staff meetings get really fun sometimes because if Steve says something, that doesn't mean it's just accepted. Anybody will just say, hey, let me push back on that a bit. I see a red flag. You know, we have good language, so it's all safe and loving. But, you know, they can spot stuff, and they can help us to make good decisions. So I said, said I want you to come with me to Steinbeck and, and figure this out. So we went, 
And uh, at the end of the time when we were there, I was just so, what do you guys think? And they were just like, we're in. This is it. This is right. We think this is God. So I was a little bit like Gideon after one fleece. You know the story? Gideon has been called to fight against the Midianites who are oppressing the Israelites. I'll shorten the story up real fast. He's scared. He does a crazy thing. He sets out lamb's wool on the ground, a fleece, and then, you know, he has, he has two different tests, one where the ground's supposed to be dry and then the wet's wet wool, and then the next one where the wool's going to be dry and then wet ground, right? Why does he do that? I was thinking, well, doesn't he just trust God? God told him to go do it and he'll be fine. Well, if he's wrong, they'll be massacred. So there's a lot at stake. And sometimes that's us as Christians. We're, we're sort of like, okay, I'm pretty sure God spoke to me, but you know what? It'd probably be a good idea to get confirmation. Probably be a good idea to... So that's what I was doing. I took my staff, I took them there, and, and I took also the, some elders, and it, what do you guys think? And they're like, yeah, this is God. We really think this is it. So then last Sunday, we sent another 18 people. We sent uh, youth leaders, worship leaders, prayer leaders. We sent people. We sent Pastor Allen. We sent people who've uh, been faithful members of our church for years. We sent people that we think have real incredible discernment. We sent them, and so in my mind, fleece number two. <laughs> and they came back after the weekend, and I started getting emails. I didn't go. I just sent, I put Kurt and Laura in charge and said, have at her. Like I started getting emails. People were saying, I got one email where they just said, if this is the direction we're going for the church, I am all in. I'm all in. And, and I, I, you know, we saw, you know, this wasn't weird. This wasn't speaky. This is just the normal that every church in, in North America should be experiencing. A life of vibrant prayer, a relationship with God where every believer can experience a vibrancy in that intimacy with God. They can experience that relationship in prayer. They can experience hearing from God. So I got all this feedback and all these things, and I just thought, okay, it's finally time to tell the church. That's what I'm doing. The number one priority for us going ahead is, is going to be is going to be prayer. To grow to be a church of prayer. And I really don't want to leave anyone behind. That's what I saw in this church that I, I thought was so amazing, was that it just seemed like Somehow they were able to walk together so that nobody got left behind. They all, they took it in baby steps and they, and they, they, they went. So if, if you're one of those ones who just wants, oh, Steve is all pumped up a little prayer. Let's go, let's do extreme prayer. <laughs> no, we're going to, we're going to slowly work our way into it. Right? Now this is not from the Bible, but I, I love this quote. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I think that's what God's got for us in the future as a church, is that we walk together, we take baby steps, little steps, and we grow. And so some of you who've been so discouraged, so disheartened in your prayer life, by the grace of God, our endeavor will be to teach well, but to teach uh, with grace. I know that we'll have to reemphasize the gospel again and again because we naturally turn things into performance things. We naturally get proud about any step we've made for God and we fail to recognize his hand in it. 
We naturally get defeated when we fail in areas and don't recognize that his gracious hand is reaching out to us in that regard. So we'll have to keep reemphasizing the gospel to get there. We're going to take step after step after step so we can finally get to the destination that God has for us. So I'm going to ask you to do one thing this week. This is your takeaway. Worship team, you can come back. This is the first baby step. When Jesus' disciples saw Jesus praying, Luke chapter 11, when Jesus' disciples saw Jesus praying, they asked him one simple thing, Lord, teach us to pray. See, they recognized, you know, it's one thing, if you look at someone else, another human being, and you go, hmm, my prayer life versus their prayer life, you either are going to get proud or you're going to feel defeated. But here they met the Son of God, they saw how he prayed, and they came, they came in humble. They could have said, some of them had been uh, disciples of John the Baptist, and he had taught his disciples to pray. And some of them, like Mark, had been his disciples. They could have come along and said, hey, Jesus, I'll lead the prayer program with the rest of the disciples because I already went through the training with John the Baptist. No, no, no. They all came in. When they saw Jesus' prayer life, they were like, oh, we are all beginners. We are all at stage one together. And I hope that you can embrace that as I'm embracing that. I hope you can embrace that. Even if you say, I have a lifetime of prayer. I've been in prayer meetings. I mean, I've been, I was praying before Steve was born. I get it. I get it. But all that is by the grace of God that any of that happened. What I want you to do is I want you to be able to walk with the people that you're in the same church with. I want you to take these steps together. You say, well, these are so basic. I have decided that I am not going to posture myself as the pro in prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to posture myself as an eager beginner. And I invite you to do the same. To say, Lord, teach me to pray. You walked with God for 60, 70, 80 years. I ask you to pray the same prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. He can teach all of us. If you're willing to take on the challenge, if you're willing to come in as an eager beginner, then we'll be able to walk forward and we'll be able to raise up a church of prayer, not just a church with a few specialists. So that's the prayer. That's the challenge I want for you guys this week is I'm going to ask you, try to do it every day. But guess what? Next week I'm not going to lambaste you for doing it, not doing it every day. But try to do it every day, just as a step, hopefully a hopeful step. Every day, I want you to try to say to the Lord, whether you get down on your knees or whether you just say it when it comes to your mind, okay, Lord, I'm being a beginner. Teach me to pray. You teach me to pray. I need to learn from you. You want me to pray more than I want me to pray. So I, I'm just saying something that lines up with what you want. These are the kind of prayers that God answers. 
the things that are his will. He wants you to pray. He desires for you to pray. So when you say, Lord, teach me to pray, he's like, yes. Yes. You want your first answered prayer? Start with a prayer that's pretty much guaranteed. Pray about your prayer life. That's what we're asking you to do this week. Lord, teach me to pray. All right. Let's stand and we'll, we'll talk to Jesus together here. Yeah, Jesus, we desire to please you. We know that what, what Christ has done has made us righteous in your sight. And now we're just operating out of the freedom that your love your forgiveness uh, provides for us. So Lord, I, I, I just, I pray against performance-oriented religion, stealing the potential victory that we can have in the future. Lord, I know that's a, a challenge in my life. It's easy for me to get my thoughts on me and not on you and not on others. So Lord, help me to pray. Help me to begin fresh. This time under such uh, um, an over-covering of grace that that performance mentality, Lord, just protect me from it. Protect all of us from it. Yeah. So thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have such good things planned for us. And thank you that uh, um, your plans for us are they're better than our plans for ourselves. So we, do, we really would like it if you would be the head of this church. We know that you positionally are head of the church, but God, we want you to be functionally the head of this church. We want, we want you to lead. We need to hear your voice in order to do that. So, Lord, we ask you to lead us. Give us ears to hear what you want us to, what, what you want. So we can be, uh, we can be the followers that you dreamed up <laughs> before the foundations of the world for us to be. Those good works you have in store for us to do. Lead us. Lead us into them. We ask that in your name. Amen.